Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. Craig, there was a photograph of you on social media this week in which you're out for a run. It was posted up online. And yes. I have to ask a question. It looked like, now it's a far, it's a far away shot. It looks like you're you're wearing a t-shirt going for a run at night in january is that is that did i see that correctly you did indeed yeah i was wearing a, a throwback man united number seven jersey skin tight might i add and probably regretting it as i strode purposefully um yeah no you've got to be you know once once you're in the zone once you're like running for a few minutes you don't feel that cold baby i don't know why you i said baby there but it made it more impactful yeah. No, I get it. I mean, like, I, I was recently given out to, because I, I, I showed up for a walk and I was wearing shorts and people were like, shorts. And I was just like, it's going to be warm. I'm going to keep moving. You know, it's all good. But I, I, I think a t-shirt's a bit much, man. I don't know. I don't know. You it see, I'm great, more, I, I feel like, oh, well, thank you. Uh, I kind of never really go for the shorts move. So, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like t-shirts less of a sacrifice, but maybe I'll experiment with it over the coming weeks, months of lockdown and get back to you in July. Running. It's a running podcast. <laughs> Let's go. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 254 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. On this episode, we'll be looking at our top five one and done albums. That's pretty self-explanatory, but we'll of course break it down. Don't worry. We'll have an interview with Elaine May and May Kay as their brand new single No Forever lands today, the day of the podcast dropping. Once once this is out, it's out. So go check it out. And uh, there's lots more happening, isn't there, Craig Fitzpatrick? Certainly is, David. Um, one question I have for you. Um, tell me about your electric banana. 
Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. Um, I put up a tweet during the week that I got an electric shock off a banana, which is true. Um, I feel like it was just one of those weird days, you know? <laughs> like, like, I was in, um, I was in a, a, a fairly upmarket shop of, uh, like, store or grocery place. Um, you can probably guess. <laughs> People tend to shorten the initials. I love how coy you're being as well. I don't know why. Like, it was I, a I, major I, incident. <laughs> I don't want to get anyone in like trouble, but fucking, the bananas it, like, were electrified. It was, I assume it's a combination of the footwear I had on or something, or perhaps like, you know, some kind of polystyrene-esque running jacket I was wearing at the time. Um, so per our preamble conversation, you got to wear the right gear if you're going to move at pace, right? So little did I know as I stalked the aisles that as soon as I went to pick up a nice green looking banana, it's fucking and put a shockwave through my system. It's one thing to get it off the basket as you pick it up, which also happened, but a piece of fruit? What the hell, man? Yeah, that's an odd one. I've noticed recently my cats are carrying a lot of static electricity. I will occasionally get a shock from them. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's been pretty mundane. I once like made a bit of a scene in Liffey Valley when I was younger um, on an escalator, got the shock of my life and went, ah! and like everyone in the middle of the food court was like, what is going on? Sorry, how, how, how much younger are we talking here? Like 20-something, was it? Like 25 it or 26? 27 years young, David. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was it. Yeah, of course. I mean, like the classic situation. Um, okay, we'll move off all that because uh, it's time to talk about music and stuff. So listen, um, on uh, on every No Encore episode that we do, we usually have like another listening section after the album review in which we kind of run through what we've been listening to and some recommends. Uh, first of all, there is no album review on this episode, so, you know, it wouldn't be happening anyway. But... Uh, we've kind of thought about it and we've kind of thought that maybe like you know we just kind of run through that bit it can last two three four minutes and you know it's just very very scattershot we kind of want to give it a bit more a bit more credence i suppose and i'm taking on some listener feedback as well i know some people come to the show to try and learn of some new music we're not strictly a new music podcast but essentially uh we kind of figured that that section wasn't really working so what we're going to do is we're going to expand it and move it to uh, patreon so patreon.com slash no encore we're going to put out monthly episodes called no encore recommends in which myself and craig will record a bonus episode. hold on hold on hold on hold on i thought we were calling it <laughs> craig's cool jazz corner you can call it whatever you want, man. But I'm officially like fair enough. This is a bit more inclusive to your, your recommendations, I guess. It's also it's three words. Like, like I'm keeping the brand. Like you work in I fucking advertising. Like why? I love it. I, I said Snappy, I didn't want to do this. I said I didn't want to do this on the show. Like like why like why do you have to confront me like this on the show? This is not like I'm trying to be positive okay. about this. Okay, let's but. save it for off the air, or at least okay. another sub podcast. Adam looks really upset. Okay, well listen. Here's the thing. No right? breakthrough. No, yeah. No. Okay, right. So, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a monthly bonus episode, usually preferably planned for the end of each month. We are aware that this weekend is now the end of the month, so I guess we're going to try and get the first one up as early in February as possible, and from then on we'll run to a frequency of it being at the end of every month. And what it will be is, it's a bonus episode, kind of a casual laid-back chat that Craig and I will record together, and I guess we'll come with like, you know, maybe five each, kind of like songs or albums that we're kind of feeling at the moment, it won't always necessarily be brand new music that came out that month, but there will be a focus on that, of course, as well. Sure. It could be something that we've heard for the first time ever and maybe you've never heard before, you know, whether it just popped up in a film or was a recommend or whatever. We basically just want the space to kind of really take the time and have a chat about what we're listening to, why we're listening to it, why we're enjoying it, and why we think that you might enjoy it too. 
And we'll also kind of tie in a playlist to that as well. So something a bit more kind of streamlined and with a bit more passion and fervor. Are you with me, buddy? We can change the name if you want. I was with you until you said passion and fervor, which sounds like a lot of work. Um, I thought we were just going to do uh, a bit of a ramble, but yeah, I can I can get hype. I can <laughs> inject some fervor into my recommends. Yeah, let's go for it. It's only once a month. Yeah, we can ramble. Like, like, the, cool. like. Why are you complicated? Unlike this, this is main not... show, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is ridiculous. Like the okay. slick operation we have going on here that allows no kind of jump off points or rambles. <laughs> the point is, it's patreoncom encore. We have lots of patrons at the moment, and all of them will, of course, get access to this uh, exclusive content, which will be so much more uh, well put together. Adam will make sure to edit it nice and tight. And if you want to sign up, you know, like for the price of a pint or whatever, you'll get that. You'll get access to other bonus episodes like our Q&A episodes as well. And lots more to come, of course. Uh, also, on the main feed next week, there'll be a brand new No Popcorn episode. It's been recorded about Soul, the Pixar film that came out at Christmas. So that's coming midweek next week. But for now, we'll press on with the show. Craig Fitzpatrick uh, sent me a very nice message the other morning on WhatsApp and said, I'll handle the news this week, buddy, which is just the <laughs> yeah. sweetest thing. And now I'm realising it's your opportunity to derail me as I lead the news section. Let's do it! Well, yeah, no, do you know what? You've um, you've worked hard on the show uh, the last couple of weeks and months, and I thought I'll handle news for the first time in a few eps. Um, it was quite a slog, for sure. Um, our lead That's story is something... <laughs> our lead going. story is something that you posted on WhatsApp. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh, it's entitled Everyone's a Critic. They wish. And I thought you might like this one, Dave, because you posted it yourself. And I do love the character at the centre of this. He's got himself in a bit of hot water. It's renowned New York Magazine art critic and columnist Jerry Saltz, who I think you're coming to fresh, right? I first encountered him last year um, when he went viral um, due to his overwhelming passion for takeaway coffees, which meant that in a pandemic, he was not making coffee at home. He was instead filling up his boot with like 18 coffees at a time, refrigerating them for days on end and drinking them as needs be, which was just a little quirky, I guess you could say. No, no, that's not quirky. That's the behaviour of a sociopath. But please continue. Well, he's come out with another tweet. Um, On Monday, he tweeted something that he's claiming was just words that uh, the long dead Oscar Wilde put in his mouth. Um, They read, a good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than the artist put into making it. The artist only creates. The critic must plumb that creation and also write creatively enough to deliver the full volume of the art, while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity itself. So almost immediately his name began trending, uh, with furious users aghast, as they so often are. Dave, what did you make of this? Everything seems to be in order as far as I'm concerned. No, no. Okay, look, I, I guess, yeah, like, I saw that you threw this into the running order and I was like, what are you doing? I was like, first of all, it's not even strictly about music, but we talk on this show a lot. I talk a lot as well about, you know, the value of criticism and the importance of criticism and how it's its own art form. And I agree with all of those things. But I think that this is way too black and white and just such a hot take that it's like supernova hot. And I'm like, no, it's too silly. And then, of course, like his follow up tweet, as you kind of aforementioned, is very, very funny when he's like, listen, you know, don't get mad at me. Oscar Wilde said it, which I feel like I'm just going to start using from yeah, now on totally. in every kind of situation. Works like, for you know, everything. No matter- 
next time I'm in Marks and Spencer's and I get electric shocked by a banana, I'll be like, well, I think you'll find that Oscar Wilde uh, would have behaved just as I am right now, please. Um, yeah, look, I, I saw someone, again, where else? Twitter, but I saw someone say, oh, good, uh, just what we need in 2021, another argument about the role of the critic. And I it's know. like, even even I am saying, yes, I don't need this argument. This is too blowhardy. I love being a critic. We know I do. I know you do as well. But come on, this is just ridiculous, right? It's too yeah. much. Well, it, you know, I guess it's pretty apparent that how ridiculous it is in the fact that he immediately started backtracking um, and, you know, said, um, do I have to it's say it again? A good like, critic like does create. Yeah, he had to outline that he doesn't think that we surpass the work, which kind of says it all. I love the fact that one of the aghast users was MTV's Kurt Loader, who I haven't heard from in about 20 years, saying this tweet gets worse every time I reread it. Surely kidding. Um, and yeah, do you know what? I think he probably was kidding. Um, after his coffee, coffee uh, imbroglio uh, last year, I did a bit of digging on Jerry Salz, and he's a really interesting character. He's... Um, quite outspoken as you can imagine he's a guy that came to criticism like later in life i believe he was like a taxi driver for years and then like in his late 40s 50s just got this job just being an art critic and has devoted his his entire life to it hence the coffee because he's like i literally don't have time all i'm doing is critiquing art around the clock (laughs) don't take this away from me and he's quite caustic, he's quite harsh on art, but he's also said things like, listen, do you know what, I, anyone that makes art, even if I think it's terrible, it's a gift to me, it's a gift to the world, everyone should just make art, do what they love, make bad art. And that was his message in the lockdown and in general, and I think that was a really sweet message. Um, so yeah, maybe should have stuck to those guns. Well, look, that's fair enough, but also I, I do find this quite harmless. I mean, I didn't pay attention to the fucking brouhaha that no doubt popped up in its wake because I saw it being quoted a lot and whatever. And it is, it's like, it's the kind of thing that he would say in like, you know, a fucking, you know, basement jazz bar to his mates. And it's in much different context, but if you put it into black and white words uh, on Twitter, you know, it, it, it's weaponized immediately and it becomes its own kind of like talking point and just goes spirals out of control straight away. And it's, it's, it's a 69 year old critic, arch critic, you know, being pretentious. I, I, that's what I would kind of expect from someone in his position, especially for, for New sure. York magazine. Um, same time though, it's kind of genius, right? Because it means that if you come at it and get mad, well, then you're just criticizing, aren't you? And therefore you're like, 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 oh my like, God, there are no a, innocent bystanders. <laughs> no, it's, it's as valid. Your opinion is just as valued. And in fact, we're all creating this thing together. Um, For sure. So, yeah, so know. to sum up, is no encore art? I would like to think so. Um, okay. Yeah. That's that question answered. Is it more, uh, does it have more creative value than say Wayne Coyne bringing bubble gigs to the world? I'll leave that to the listener to decide, but I'd like to hear more about this story that I feel like pops up every three months now. Yeah, well, he's been doing sketches for a long time, has Wayne Coyne of Flaming Lips. It was back in, it was last March now that he started, um, you know, the Flaming Lips have long done this bubble thing where he will cross the hands and um, over the tops of the crowd in a bubble of his own making. Um, he's been thinking, okay, listen, what if there was like thousands of bubbles and what if everyone had their own bubble and that would prevent the COVID spreading, right? So he started doing sketches last March. He's been talking about it, as you said, quite a bit. It actually happened last weekend, Dave. There was two gigs in um, their hometown of Oklahoma. Um, it seems to go really well. Um, although some kind of 
um, stick in the muds. How, like, and by stick in the muds, I mean like experts <laughs> have been wondering how effective the measures were. Um, but like, hey, it was enough to get him on Morning Ireland in a kind of surreal section about he- half seven on Tuesday morning, which is probably what he's aiming for, right? Did you tune into that? Like, what was was he on it himself, or did they just talk about it? Yeah, no, he was on it. Um, and they, we actually have a little clip. You want to hear um, him talking about being a bit philosophical about the state of the world and live music? We weren't itching to be. We have to go out there and play. You know, part of it was that we thought, well, you know, here's an alternative to going to these things where, you know, people's masks won't be on and they'll be all sweaty and drunk and even. As strange as it is to say, you know, here in America, there are the disbelievers who will be there and just say, well, you know, what do you have your stupid mask on for? So when, you know, when, when concerts do come back, you know, um, sure, it, it, will, it will be such a great, uh, great relief. But, you know, everything will come back. So, you know, the, the traveling around and even just uh, having a party backstage before the concert. I mean, that's that was part of it as well. You know, we're. We're literally driving to the show and jumping out of the car and running into the up to the space bubble. So there's you know there's just a lot of there's a lot of dimensions to to music that isn't just playing the music that I think we all kind of forget that that's that's part of the what makes you love it so much is that just yeah he kept talking he's a bit of a rambler I did cut off the bit where of course Morning Ireland ended the interview with well you have a lot of fans over here Wayne <laughs> and he <laughs> had to do his whole yeah he has to do his whole like oh even listening to your Irish accents made me feel um, homesick for, for home from home uh, um, which was Jesus a lovely Christ. moment even in you a like serious Ireland, show like yeah. that fucking hell I can't talk to any celebrity ever um, yeah it's funny because the way it starts off and I'm like oh disbelievers in America you're joking but you know what uh, I am glad that Wayne Coyne who has had his hippie phase you know he's been on the outskirts of um I guess, mainstream culture throughout his career, you would imagine he might turn into an Ian Brown and start being a bit of a disbeliever, conspiracy theorist himself. So it's nice to hear that he's got his head screwed on, right? Yeah, it's also nice to hear that the biggest thing of the live experience he misses is, I guess, getting fucked up backstage before a <laughs> <Yeah>, show. That's, <laughs> like, that's going to come back. We miss that culture. Which, to be fair, I don't know. I mean, I was talking to someone this week who used to be in a band and they were like, we couldn't have timed the breakup of this band even better because, like, imagine doing it now. It just wouldn't make sense. And the culture of that, the whole, the ritual of the show, I suppose, you know, for an artist, uh, the whole sound check, you know, freaking out backstage where you're going to go on like all these kind of things have just been taken away piece by piece by piece um would you get into a giant space bubble thing to go see a show craig i mean at this stage like i would like if you told me that like if we were at like the workman's and you know you were like dave there's a vaccine in that urinal i'd be like i'm fucking licking it off mate (laughs) like let's do it i don't care (laughs) just i want to go to a show i want to go to a show craig (laughs) i want to go to a show this sounds like a pretty decent setup right so what you got was you got a bubble you got a high frequency speaker in the bubble you got a water bottle you got a fan a towel and a sign if someone uh, had to use the restroom or if it's too hot inside so if you're like sweltering you can put up a sign that's like help me which is good <laughs> come on like, this is like something out of prometheus like this is fucking weird i don't know um but in terms of whether you'd be at risk i mean the jury still seems to be out so the dean of um the boston university school of public health said there's no evidence about the efficacy or lack thereof of these bubbles from an infectious disease transmission point of view to which i say nerd yeah um, crusty old dean (laughs) um but yeah do you know what yeah i'm just gagging for a show at this point give me the bubble 
Okay, uh, you've taken us to the the role of the critic. You've taken us to Wayne Coyne's Strange Bubble Land. Where are we going next for the new section? We're going to Craig on Kanye Corner. Yes, <laughs> it returns. Attention, everyone. One, one. Shut up. Craig on Kanye. Whatever happened to that guy who did that voiceover, man? Such a iconic tone. Did we always have um, Black Skinhead as well coming in on the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This has always been recent. God, so good. Um, Yeah, there's a couple of bits of Kanye news, but to be honest, I was just hoping we'd get the jingle. So essentially what's happening is there might be a statue of Kanye coming to an Icelandic swimming pool near you. You up for that, Where else, you know? I mean, it's about damn time as far as I'm concerned. Apparently in Reykjavik, there's a, this My Neighbourhood thing, which um, just kind of lets residents suggest additions to improve their local area. So um, some bit of a card has put in this submission. Uh, he's called Aaron Kristen Johansson, and he's um, backed his proposal by suggesting that tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of tourists would come here and visit the statue if it was erected. He says for Kanye West, it would be a great honour to have a statue erected. I just challenge the city authorities to listen to the young people. Um, he's got 700 votes, so it may go ahead. I don't know. He's got um, he's got two more votes, maybe three more. If Adam's on board from this show, this is all very reminiscent of that um, that guy in Britain who wanted an easy E or something. Yeah, yeah I wonder yeah, if that happened. We'll have to do a follow up, do some real journalism on that, and crack that case. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love these guys. They're like the I don't know Wall Street bets of. <laughs> tidy towns in small small places around the world it's pretty good um, in other Kanye news little baby talking working with Kanye sick topical <laughs> reference there I like to go on sorry <laughs> <laughs> little baby's been talking about working with Kanye in Wyoming he said we didn't work on much music um, but I did see him work on his um, shoes and his clothing line that's even more inspiring in some ways <laughs> and that's the end of Craig on Kanye fantastic glad he's keeping busy uh, anything else in the news this week before we move into our interview for the week yeah um there's a little bit of dolly parton news um so speaking of side hustles and, and the like dolly parton and sean mendez are among the notable names who've contributed spoken word passages to a new feature on the apple watch dave do you have an apple watch i don't actually know it took me a very long time to even get a macbook but once i did i was like this is the way Sorry, I'm the fucking, I'm the Mandalorian. This is the way. Jesus Christ. Uh, No, please tell me more. Yeah, so essentially, I've never really seen the appeal of the Apple Watch. I've had like a kind of um, a small Fitbit, which is good just for when you're out out running. It lets you know, you know, how warm your t-shirt is. Yeah. But what the Apple Watch will do for you now is if you want to go for a little saunter uh, within your 5k limits, um, you'll be joined by Celebrity. For a new feature called Time to Walk. Um, it's being, Are you doing it's an being ad right now? Built as an inspiring let me let me finish my ad. Inspiring <laughs> new audio walking experience which has been created to encourage users to walk more often and reap the benefits from one of the healthiest activities. Um, so basically <laughs> what you get from Parton is an episode, like a full walk long episode. Well, I guess it depends on how long you're walking for, right? <laughs> if you walk for the exact <laughs> amount of episode, then it's a walk long episode. But she just basically reflects on her her life and like talks about growing up in like rural Tennessee and like there's photos that just pop up on your Apple Watch of like you know from her childhood and stuff and it's this weird it's like you bumped into Dolly Parton and she went for a walk with you I'm kind of intrigued uh, 
I guess walking is fine, but, but even then, I mean, like, you're kind of, that's very distracting. It could lead to some precarious situations, no? I mean, like, you kind of want to be safe, especially now, with, like, when, whenever you see, like, a single human being walking towards you, that's terrifying. So I don't know if, it, like, I don't know if I need to see Dolly memorabilia popping up, on, like, on my watch as I walk away, like, as I walk around the place, but... Yeah, if you want that, you'll go to Dollywood kind of thing. Yeah, precisely. We've talked before about how, what did I call it? Dolly World. I think it was. It's a it? Dolly yeah. World, was it? I want to go to Dolly World. Um, yeah, it's it's an intriguing idea. Dolly there Land, many, maybe. <laughs> there are many intriguing ideas in the world, uh, including, I think, have you managed to once again fan the flames of a possible full take that reunion? Did I see that in the... I haven't. Gary Barlow has. He's he's toying with our emotions once again. Yes. Orange, Williams, back for good. Just have a little what, Dave? patience yeah just wanted to get you to do that to be honest um he was on uh another podcast how dare he but he thinks it's actually possible that they'll reunite he says i think there will be i think there will be a reunion as one of the trills yeah go ahead i'm gonna stop you there this this is not this isn't oasis with the smiths this is like a couple of phone calls and a lot of money being promised this will hold on you say this right but jason orange have you been following like jason orange's like the mysterious Movements. kind of uh, no i haven't no but uh, or lack like, thereof like he's just he's completely vanished off the map like every time members have been asked about jason orange since he left and prior to gary barlow teasing this they've been like yeah like he doesn't return our messages we're not really sure where he's living um <laughs> he doesn't want to be in the industry it sounds like he's okay but he's just like i am totally done with it uh robbie yeah you're 100 percent right robbie's just like waiting might have found at this point i say and howard's like uh you know i can only dance in my house for so long howard on, howard i think is like should we really be wearing masks he i think he's uh, going oh, that no, way a bit. Is he? Oh, for yeah, yeah 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 sake jesus christ uh yeah. I, I if i recall correctly when take that first broke up i think jason Aaron's like tried to be an actor and went back to college and everyone was like He's a renaissance man. And then it was just like, that's cool. Well, he, so he, he does used to have a section. Like he's- he used to have a section in Take That Shows where he would bring out, break out the old acoustic guitar and do a few songs of his own. Things were called yeah, stuff he- like Little Wooden Boat and yeah. He's the uh, he's the Brian McFadden of Take That. You know, he's the... No, he's... The, oh, come on. The secret personality. Um, okay. <laughs> How dare you. I think it'll happen. I'd say keep the faith. But also right now is not really the time, is it? Because they can't do anything. So I don't know. Talk to Howard. I will. I'll give him a call. Uh, I know you've mentioned that Metallica are making glacial progress on their album. Is that the entire story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Lars came out like a couple of weeks ago and was like, oh, we're firing on all cylinders. Uh, You know, watch this space. And now he's like, um, basically, yeah, glacial is the exact quote. He's like, don't expect anything anytime soon. But... If you're looking for some anthemic rock and roll, the Killers are back in the studio. Um, and Dave Koenig has rejoined them after being like very publicly, I am done with all of this a couple of years ago. And Brandon Flowers, um, they threw up an IG thing basically saying, you'll have another album within 10 months. He's written loads of songs to industrious lads from Vegas. And yeah, you can expect a follow up to Imploding the Mirage quite soon, hopefully. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, so before we close off the news section, I will say in that Metallica story, I think Lars actually made a cogent point for once and he said that, you know... Oh, go doing on. Sorry, I'm supposed to miss that. <laughs> he basically said doing rehearsals and trying to write songs together as a hard rock band or whatever over Zoom is kind of impossible. Yeah. He was like, even like timing delays. And I'm like, yeah, that's for any like act, that must be a fucking nightmare. So congratulations to anyone who's successfully getting it done in that regard. My God. Um, okay, so before we get into our interview, uh, as noted all the time on this show... Uh, 
we're on the Headset Podcast Network. There are lots of other podcasts available. We're all back in lockdown forever, so you might be, you know, pivoting to the kitchen and you might want a new food podcast. Well, I've got one for you. Here it is. That's with Chris and Hello, my friends, and welcome to That's Banging with me, Marcus Solera. And me, Chris Mellon. A new podcast celebrating everything good from farm to plate, ship to service, and field and fork. A celebration of everything tasty, fresh and excellent that's coming off our island at the moment. As well as interviews with people who are shaping the best of the best of food and drink from around the country. Episodes are out fortnightly on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. In association with tasty, fresh and excellent beer, Hop House 13. As always, please remember to drink responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie. Sumptuous stuff. Okay, listen, it's time for an interview. Uh, like I say, did an interview this week. It's a really good one, I think. I had the chance to hop on a fucking Zoom with the amazing Elaine May, the incredible May Kay. They've teamed up for a brand new single. The song is called No Forever. It's out right now, and I highly encourage you to get listening to it. But first, listen to this. A fuck of pleasure Just to be with you Unexpected measure So we can say we saw this through And with all your pressure So we can tell the mirror was true I forgo pleasure To no forever I guess with some kindness and blindness we managed to hold That's No Forever. It's out now, as of this podcast dropping. It is the first official announcement, essentially, of Elaine May's forthcoming debut album. I'm not sure when that will be, but maybe I can find out. Like, that's my challenge, I suppose, over the next little while, as I'm joined now, of course, by Elaine May. Hello. Hi, how are you? I am good. Thank you for taking the time on this Monday evening in January. And also, of course... What else would I be doing? Well, this is the the can-do spirit that I I am imparting on this. And of course, we are also joined by May Kay. Hello. Hello. I don't nice know to why talk I, to you, Dave. Nice to see you. It's been It's a good while. to see you. It's good to see you. I, I don't know why I revert to like 1950s game show host Dave there for that, but I just feel like a certain kind of pressure. I don't know. I think it's especially because <laughs> of this this digital era. But look, listen, let's get cracking. I mean, like I've I've had the pleasure of hearing this song now for a few weeks and I loved it the first time I heard it. I think it's fantastic. Elaine, as I say, this marks the first official announcement of your forthcoming debut album. You've released singles, EPs and features, been a festival staple over the past decade or so. Debut albums and I guess even putting out the first kind of taster of it or it's clearly quite personal affair for an artist so i guess simply put why now <laughs> why now um god i don't know i mean like feels like it's time you know i've been like uh doing this for a while and i think for a long time eps kind of made sense for me to do because i had like you know like there was a period of time in my life where i had some tracks that reflected where i was and stuff um and in all honesty, it's easy to kind of just put an EP together and put it out and stuff. Um, so I think I kind of leaned into that for, for quite a while. But I feel like now is the time to kind of, you know, push myself to do the longer, a longer EP, which is what this is essentially, or two EPs at the same time. Um, so that's the plan. Nice. You're uh, you're redefining it. You're like 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 the, the long player no longer means what it used to. I mean, at, at what point though, in in the process of putting together this track, were you like, that's the one, that's the first kind of shot in anger I want to put out? And also, at what point were you? At what at what point did Mary come up in the conversation and you're like, yeah, that's what I want here? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's funny, it's interesting for me because I think like a lot of the stuff that I've written up until this point, I have always kind of sang on it or I've done like instrumental stuff or whatever. Um, and then when I was, you know, working on this like body of work or whatever and the, the tracks that I've been working on, um, nothing was really working for me from a vocal perspective and I just really wanted to see, you know, if I could get some other artists on it to just interpret in a different way and kind of add some some you know different like a different story there or whatever um and i've known mary for years now i don't actually know how long probably five six years is it more than that Ah, elaine has to be more than that has to be i guess Mm. um but maybe like you know started to see you more frequently i suppose in like the last maybe four or five years um and you know it's kind of it's like weird having this conversation right because you're right there looking at me Mary is someone that I really look up to and I massively respect um, and she just has such an amazing presence and is such an incredible songwriter um, so this just kind of felt like a good fit and I was really kind of excited to see what would happen and like I'm in no way exaggerating when I say that when she sent me back the demo I was like bowled over like it was just so so good and I think you know, Mary will attest to this that we really tried to kind of like stay as closely to that demo as we possibly could because I just was like the feeling in this is just so good and it's like it's so emotive and it's just so um personal and I really wanted to try and kind of like keep that in the in the final recording or whatever um so yeah I mean to me it all kind of just happened quite easily and quite naturally and it's been really fun and I've just had such a brilliant time doing it and uh the fact that the track is coming out now and everything I'm just like super excited about it really happy and that people are going to hear it soon yeah, uh, Mary, I guess for you, like, it's also kind of a, a, a bit of a totemic release as well, because, I mean, this is the first time you've put out music since the Galaxy broke up in 2019. So it's a year and a half, almost two years since we've since we've heard your voice in this regard. And it is that full-throated make vocal that we've come to know and love. And I guess what made, I'm sure people have wanted you to sing another stuff in the meantime. So for you as well, why now? This is great, by the way. I'm loving this. This is just from the comfort of my so own bedroom to be hearing such nice things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, yeah, I feel I feel the same way about Elaine. Um, I have so much time for it. She's always been. Yeah, I've always admired her prominence. She's been in a pretty heavily male-dominated sphere. Um, and she's the song. Yeah, the song just straight away that that took no time at all to write on, um, and yeah, it was just a no brainer. I have been asked to do other stuff in the meantime, um, and I have done a few things, but no, it's I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Elaine too. I felt like I needed to, I couldn't leave it too much longer without releasing something. That's like you can't keep calling yourself a musician and not release music. <laughs> It's just ultimately a lie after a while. So, um, yeah. And as Elaine said, the, um, the process has just been really easy. It's been, it's been lovely. Um, it's kind of hard to believe when you send someone something and they send it back, just going, cool. Yeah, that's it. And you're like, okay. I can't believe we're releasing it too. That feels like, I don't know. It feels like such a long time that we've been talking about it. Um, but it hasn't been that long, really. Um, and it's so exciting. It's been, it's been so long since I've re- released anything. Um, and it's just really nice have, doing it with someone, not being on your little Tobler. I mean, it's interesting because like, when I first heard it, I was like, 
Ah, uh, like, of course, I know this is a, uh, like, like an annoying thing and every musician is facing it right now, but they're, like, I, I think Elaine, I think your kind of music as well, like, it lends itself so well to the live experience, which we can't quite enjoy right now as we did. And I guess, like, there's no perfect time to release a track like this now. It's just kind of like, this is ongoing. I have this piece of music. I did find it to be, like, escapism. It did work for me in that regard. I legitimately did. I tweeted out a while ago, you know, for five minutes and 47 seconds, I forgot about the pandemic. And I, I, I keep listening to it and I'm repeating that way and i guess for me i always talk about the power of music and what it can do for you so i think in the face of the way things are right now you know i mean ideally i suppose this would be released in like the summer and we're all going to festivals but i mean is it a case of fuck it i I can't sit on this any longer i just need to get it out um yeah i mean i don't know you haven't thought about this at all have you (laughs) (laughs) what are you up to (laughs) just plodding along doing your best yeah, I mean, I guess to me, this was the first track that was going to come out, come out of the tracks that I've been working on with a view to kind of putting the album out later in the year because I have to finish it. <laughs> so it's not done yet. Um, it's getting there. It's getting there slowly. But um, yeah, I mean, ideally, this track definitely would be kind of like a summer banger, like, you know, we're all out, we're all having cans outside or whatever. Um, doesn't look like that's going to happen this year again. Um but, you know, like you said yourself, music is escapism and, you know, that stuff is going to come back eventually. Like, and we're going to play this track together live and like literally cannot wait for that. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. I mean, Mary mentioned there as well, she referred to like a kind of a male dominated arena. I mean, you're releasing this single at a time when there's a notable ongoing conversation regarding airplay for female artists on the radio, both in Ireland and the UK. Just last week, the latest edition of the Gender Disparity Report declared that male performers account for 80 to 90% of the plays on Irish radio between the end of June and the end of December 2020. So I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts on the issue one way or another, especially given the timing of the release of a song that quite frankly, I mean, unless you're a specialist station like Lyric FM, I don't see why you wouldn't play this track. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really good to see that there has been a lot of progress made in a lot of the stations. Um, so definitely, I think it's good to call that out. Um, because I, can, I think it can be hard, easy to kind of f- focus on the negative a lot, you know, like obviously there are people out there who have kind of looked at this and have decided to kind of, you know, make an effort and, and you know, get behind some acts, which is really good to see. So there has definitely been progress um, made. But I think, yes, we just need to kind of keep the conversation ongoing and keep talking about it because, um, you know, like that report's highlighted stuff that I think a lot of people, maybe they knew in the back of their head, but they hadn't seen it so kind of clearly and blatantly. And now it's like, it's you can't ignore it, you know. Um, and I think that's really good. And I, I think one thing that's good for me personally that has kind of come out of, of all of this stuff in the last year or two is that like, you know, from being involved in Irish Women in Harmony and then being involved in Key Change is that I feel like I've got really strong networks of women around me now, um, which is amazing. And even working on this album, you know, like I've I've worked with so many women in the process and I've enjoyed that so much. And I just feel like there's a real community now among women working in the industry who are kind of really all just banding together to kind of try and, you know, continue to raise awareness and hopefully kind of make things better. Yeah. Um, Mary, I want to get your thoughts on that as well in just a second. I wanted to actually ask you, Elaine, about Key Change. Uh, can you explain what Key Change is, essentially that initiative and your role within it? 
Um, yeah, so I was selected as one of the six acts um, and innovators from Ireland um, last year to be part of Key Change. Key Change basically is, is an organisation and an EU initiative that is um, seeking to uh, address the gender imbalance in the music industry. So within the industry itself, but then also on like festival lineups um, and stuff like that. So um, they basically have a pledge and they, they're asking organisations to sign up to that pledge um, to seek to uh, get a 50-50 balance in their organisations. So I think they've 350 organizations that have signed up to that um currently um and the key change program itself you know is a network of women from across europe um who kind of support each other and there's a mentoring program and everything like that so um similar you know they're just trying to kind of raise awareness of the um the imbalance there and and seek to make progress in that regard yeah, uh, Mary, I guess for you, like, you know, over the past 10 years, you've led a band, you've joined a band, you know, you've featured, you've been a mainstay of the Irish music scene. I guess now in 2021, as we go into a new decade and everything, pandemic or no, with these kind of conversations going on, how do you kind of frame it based off your own kind of experience? Are we moving in the right direction or is that even too broad of a question? Um, <clears throat> I'm physically programmed to say, yes, we are moving in the right direction because I get sad if I think we're not. <laughs> Um, it's definitely going the right direction. I think a big thing has been that you can so easily turn into this nagging sounding woman when you start talking about gender imbalance across different industries. So it's so wonderful to have this on paper, um, that this is a fact and it's not one men involved in radio stations are surprised to see this. They're actually not, a lot of people aren't fully aware themselves that they've been part of the problem. Um, and it's a really deep-seated problem. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's not... When you look at some of the stations, they're, they're not bad people, you know? And, like, Key Changer, an amazing... Key Changer, they're to help. You know, when people talk about, like, this, like, army of women getting together and stuff, it's really not... It's not to be against anything. It's to help. It's to show, highlight the problem and to fix it. Because the same way we've been shown so much particularly the hip-hop scene in Ireland diversity makes us all stronger it's not about winning and it's not about us wanting more than other people have it's about equality and about diversity and about about excellence we'll be get we will all be better as a country um if we embrace that and key change really they're so interesting like they if there are people anyone listening to this that wants to change and move in the right direction, get in touch with them and they'll give you, they'll show you how, they'll show you where you've kind of been going wrong and how, how you can get better. So it's not, it's, it's not us against the boys at all. Um, some of my favorite boys are boys. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's not about that. It's about us all being the best that we can be and, and we have to include everybody, um, in that for that to happen. you now.
different sphere. Uh, we've seen you hosting other voices recently, kind of either side of the lockdowns we're in. And I mean, how important is it for arts and music in particular to be visible right now to some capacity, whether it is a specialist festival that's able to operate safely and upload, you know, intimate shows that have been pre-recorded and kind of edited a little bit, or just continuing to make music? I mean, like, especially like, you know, in light of Elaine releasing a song like this at the end of January, I mean, it's like last week, Glastonbury was cancelled, but like the conversation around the arts keeps going. We're all very hopeful. It, it, it hasn't collapsed or anything to that degree. Creators are still creating. I mean, it, it, like, I guess if I have a question here at all in this ramble, it's just like <laughs> your own kind of relationship in terms of the past 12 months or so. Is it a case of just, I just got to keep going. I just got to keep driving forward and making things. And hopefully we come out the other side of this as naive as that sounds of me. No, not at all. I think that, like, it's the same way you asking me, do I think things are moving in the right direction? Yes, I do believe that things are moving in the right direction. We have to keep going. Um, I know that everybody, the arts, I mean, the arts in Ireland, um, with thanks to a lot of amazing people who've been pushing and plotting for years, trying to get more funding and, 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 um, better kind of treatment for artists and crew and stuff that's gone actually really incredibly well in the last 12 months but from a from everybody's personal perspective I think each lockdown has been like a different phase of like grief of some sort you know that you're in the first one it was like yeah let's try these new things and it was kind of exciting and then to be honest some of it just highlighted the absence of people and it made things a bit lonelier. So there's been some streams I've watched where I've just been like, that's made me a bit sad. But the next week I could watch the same thing and be like, that was beautiful. I can't wait to be in that room again. So I think what everyone's doing, it's it's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. If you're if you're ticking along, tipping away, um, for artists to still be creating I can't understand how we've been creative in the past few months because you're so you're so sure that you're creating based on experiences you're having and people you're meeting and um but I mean obviously maybe we're just getting better at recalling memories and and feelings and things but I think before the pandemic it was like if I had a penny for every time I said if I only had a bit more time I'd do I'd do that and now we just do have the time to do it um, there's something kind of amazing in the lack of pressure um, because there's nothing open, you know, I mean, I, Jesus, I'd love to be selling tickets to a gig now, but there's something lovely about it just being about the art and being about the song um, and being about, and, and people being incredibly helpful. I found people on Twitter and stuff since Elaine has announced this far more vocally supportive than maybe they usually would be because they know it's not an easy time to be doing this. So there's no, there's no good thing about the pandemic. It's a nightmare, but there are definitely have been little kind of grains of beauty in it too. Yeah. And Elaine, I guess for you at this stage, starting this kind of album journey, because like when this was announced, I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, I'm delighted. I'm so excited for this. I've been waiting for an Elaine May album forever. I've loved all the work you put out, but like this, I'm, I'm so excited to hear what an Elaine May album will sound like from start to finish. So I guess though, like, I, I, can I, can I ask about the current stage? Like, is everything recorded or is this, are you still working on it? And how have you found the process of segmenting it together, especially given what Mary just said? Yeah, it's no, it's not all done. It's still like I still have stuff to record and, and produce and stuff like that. But um, it's like it's definitely getting there. And, um, you know, like I've I found the whole process. It's weird. Like, I guess there's two two things. Like, firstly, I've really enjoyed it because it's been an amazing distraction. And as I said, like, 
you know, working with Mary on this track and I've been collaborating with some other people as well has been amazing. It's just fun. It's great distraction. It's, you know, brilliant to get completely lost in. Um, but then on the flip side as well, it's it can be really hard to write and be creative when you are like tired and you're not feeling great and there's a pandemic on and it's there's bad news everywhere you know so I think that's really difficult as well um as Mary kind of spoke about you know um so for me it's been kind of like getting that balance almost because I think in the first lockdown I was just like right okay gotta get loads of stuff done now and it's perfect and I've got loads of time and blah 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 and like it was just like pretty much impossible because you know the world was like falling apart. I didn't really feel very inspired, you know. Um, so it has kind of like, I have had to kind of like step away a little bit and try and kind of like, you know, stop looking at the news and, you know, like to kind of get into any headspace where I feel like I can create something that's like, you know, good and reflects how I'm, you know, what I want to talk about in the album and stuff. Um, so it's been a mix. I think one of the main things that I've learned out of the whole thing is that like, I really just need to like, go easy on myself and I think that should be the same for everybody because like I think we've all had time to kind of like you know reevaluate and like think about the fact that like you know we're not meant to be like you know these like you know machines who just like churn out whatever it is whether you're just like you know whether you're making like paintings or music or you know your day-to-day whatever you're doing it's like you know we're not just productivity bots or whatever we're like we're people and we need like to have downtime and you know have a kind of a balanced like life or whatever um and I think before the whole pandemic I always put a lot of pressure on myself to be doing this and be finishing that and put new stuff out and work what's the next thing and I've really kind of learned to just um just like relax a bit like you know just like take it a bit easier do a bit of exercise like chill out watch tv whatever so yeah listen i mean like i guess i the last thing i want to do is put any further pressure on you but i am the i am an impatient type is it possible for me to even ask when this album might surface or are you like no dave shut up leave me alone (laughs) yeah like i'm aiming for the end of the year so like hopefully you know hopefully like you know, t- like before before Christmas or whatever. But like, I mean, I say that being like this new evolved person who's just like, if it falls apart and I can't do it then, then I'll just wait. Like, you know. I think that's the nice thing lately that it just is like, no one's really using pens anymore. We have to use pencils so that we can rub stuff out and be like, okay, that plan doesn't go ahead, you know. But I think that's, I think that's what I mean about there being a nice thing lately that it's just like, this is a plan, this is what I want to do. If that changes... You know that changes. Yeah, exactly. I I, th- I think that's very true. I think people are a lot more kind of understanding, or there's a lot more empathy going around um, these days, which is cool. So yeah, I mean, I'll do my best, Dave. All right, I'll do Thanks, my absolute no, best. L- listen, it's it's all about me, right? At the end of the day, like like, like that. That's how it is. Uh, we no, do listen, want you to be happy. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Finally, um, you're off to a flyer, Elaine. Thank you both so much for talking to me. The track is now forever. It's out now. And uh, yeah, when that album's coming out, we will obviously sit down with you, hopefully for a track by track and go through the entire thing. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you both so much for talking to us this week. Thanks, Dave.
Thanks once again to Elaine and to May Kay. No Forever is the name of the track. It's out now. Get it tattooed across your throat. Okay, it's time for our top five this week. Craig Fitzpatrick, what are we doing? We're doing um, classic one and done albums. Um, so to my mind, you know, it means a discography of one single studio album. I was excluding kind of live things that came out, odds and ends, compilations. Um, I probably also think, you know, if posthumous releases are, you know, have turned up, they were kind of unfinished, they don't really count. So these are the acts and bands that made a huge impact with that one kind of mammoth long player. Or maybe didn't. Maybe they just made an impact on us. Maybe they were a kind of cult proposition. Um, and then they were kind of gone too soon, either by breaking up, sadly passing on. Um, this was an interesting one because it's something we've talked about for a long time about doing. Um, there's some kind of, there might be some crossover. We definitely have favourites. I thought like the, the pool of choices would be slightly wider. And I got into a situation where I was like, some of them seemed quite obvious. And then I was getting kind of recommendations online and discovering stuff that was kind of little known and at a certain point I kind of went listen I might be cheating the listener from like okay I've been listening to this three days and I think you should check it out so I kind of went with my gut what what was your process Dave? This was really fun I really enjoyed it as you say it's one that we've talked about doing for a while um on the crossover front I would be very very surprised if there isn't crossover so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a guess here that we'll have two on each list that will be the same thing but we'll see and like I say this isn't best and worst this is very much positive these are what we judge to be our favorite slash the best one and done albums uh, and for me it was also a case of um I think the project in question has to be fairly definitively done um for whatever reason and um, we'll get yeah. into specifics when we get into each one but also for example um, and i'm just gonna shock the listener right now uh kids see ghosts is not in my list because oh yeah i feel like Kanye west Kid cody project that we know i'm obsessed with um I, they like there was no press around that album it was part of the wyoming series it just came out and it was amazing and it fucking helped my life for the better but also They've never really said one way or another if they'll do more, what it is. I don't think they did a lot of press on it, if any. Uh, there's talk of some kind of animated series happening. It feels like a project that isn't closed off. It feels like one that could return. And it's only been two and a bit years, so I just kind of feel like it's. it didn't really make sense for me to put it in. I don't think it's necessarily you know, a one and done. If it was, without question, it's in, because we know how much that album means to me. But that, yeah. that was like a hard decision I had to make. And also... Uh, you know, I know, like, maybe it's annoying to even say this out loud or for it to ever be a factor, but, like, there are times when I do kind of get into my own head about, like, well, Craig's going to pick that one. And so there's at least one in that regard that I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pick this. I hope Craig picks hmm. it, because if neither of us has it, doesn't have it, it's probably bad for us to not have it. But look, it's it's a good one when you feel that way, right? It's a good one when you get tied up in knots. I really enjoy doing this. And once again, yeah, I went with my gut, too. I'm very happy with my five. And uh, why don't we kick off with you, though? Because I think I went first last week. Okay, I'll say one more thing about my selections um, in case people are wondering as we go. I did put one further restriction on myself that I didn't really go for collaboration albums or like super groups in the truest sense of, you know, if there's loads of other material of these artists out there in various forms, if it was just, you know, a coming together for a one-off in that respect, I thought, yeah, I love them. I could easily fill up the five and keep going with those kind of things. But I'm just going to stick to artists where it was their entire body of work or, you know, 
an act that it was they were all in at the time it wasn't just a side project gig so with that in mind my number five is something I fought against hang on hang on hang on hang yeah on. sorry go on I, I, I'm really sorry I, I just feel like we've we've built this one up quite a bit we're still building it up right now and I just feel like it could be contentious and I think ultimately we need to kind of back ourselves so what I, I what I want to say before we do this list is a good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than the artist put into making it the artist only creates the critic must plumb that creation and also write creatively enough to deliver the full volume of the art while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity itself okay yeah cheers dave yeah really setting me up for a fall here in my <laughs> take it away buddy all right cool listen i fought against including this um i was going to go for some cool stuff little known stuff you know joseph k young marble giants but actually in good consciousness this had to go in and you know true acceptance you find certain grace So very basic, but it's still brilliant. Uh, I had to go back and check and yeah, I had confirmation. It's Jeff Buckley. Uh, the album is Grace, 1995. That was Last Goodbye. And I do feel a bit like I'm like a 14 year old putting this on a mixtape for you and like changing your life, Garden State style. But yeah, you know, it felt fresh coming back to us. I was wowed and kind of wooed again. And um, yeah, sadly, this was the soul. Um, LP proper from Jeff Buckley. Um, there was a kind of posthumous release which was kind of unfinished sketches. There was a few nice songs on it. And he is one of those artists that almost like alongside a biggie in terms of there's there, there's a huge catalogue now of, you know, off cuts, various takes, live things. His estate has kind of milked um, the vaults for all it's worth. But this is really definitive for me. Um, I think the whole myth around Jeff Buckley is totally tied up in this album with, you know, Grace from the cover art. Um, you know, the video promos around it. Uh, there is something kind of magical about it. You know, candles in the recording booth, step your tinge, floppy fringes, furrowed brows. Um, it does, it does kind of, I think because it's so influential, it does evoke some like troll like Alan McGee saying it's, you know, oh, it's bedwetting music or something like that, as he infamously said about Coldplay, who were, you know, Chris Martin always talked about this being a huge influence. Tom York has, um, said to Jeff Buckley singing just completely kind of saved Radiohead. It gave him confidence at a time when they were the creep band and he just, he had these Ben's songs and he started singing falsetto and it just all clicked into place for them. Um, So, so many artists have talked about the impact of this. And actually, if you go back to it, um, there's quite a lot of breath musically to it and some of the influences he draws on are um, kind of unexpected. There's harder rock stuff there, so you can kind of hear that in that. So he's like doing the angelic voice thing but you're getting almost Zeppelin-esque riffs. Um, I guess it's best known for the Torch songs and just... Uh, he was he was coming out of a time when grunge was pretty much over. I think this album was released four months after Kurt Cobain passed away. And there's like flex of that, but it's getting to a more polite place. And he was way more influenced, I think, than by the likes of Ida Piaf, kind of Maria Callas, like real songbirds uh, who are his heroes. And 
he was yeah he was a bit of a kind of diva musically it's just these kind of you know in his cover songs he was just totally unbounded and kind of undeniable for me I always think of him as like the James Dean of music yeah. for some reason. Like, I guess the the physical appearance and just the legacy, the mystery, the the kind of intoxicating feeling that comes with an artist where, you know, their life is so tinged by tragedy and informs everything. And it, it changes the kind of weight and the substance in which uh, a record can be held up within. So I guess even going back to it now, I know you said that it was enjoyable and it kind of took you to a different place, but like... Is like is is it possible to separate Jeff Buckley from all of this? Is it like where does he rank in the canon? And uh, can you even have the conversation given the the, the kind of stratospheric, um, not quite parasocial relationship we would have with him? But like, there's just a strange magic here that I don't know if it's fully positive. There's like some kind of hyperbole that you can't get around. Does the album manage to stand up away from? Can you turn off all that noise, basically? I think it's tough for sure. And I think the songs that sound quite romantic at the time of release take on this almost funereal um, quality as well. Yeah, there's, you know, it's all part of this legend of Jeff Buckley, which is like, you know, the case with so many artists uh, over the years. And it's probably not good to mythologize that kind of thing too much. Um, But I think the talent is certainly there. I think, you know, remarkable kind of reinventive covers aside his writing was pretty strong on this and it kind of it showed what could have been like i i can imagine him going on to you know if he was around now would he be a kind of rufus wainwright type would he have kind of expanded his writing and really changed culture in a way that a fiona apple does you know people that were in that kind of class of songwriting around about that time um we'll never know and instead yeah it is this capsule of record the James Dean shout is a really good one. It is kind of like if Elvis had never gone beyond the Sun Studio sessions. Um, but there's a magic to that as well because he was really, really fucking good. And I think, as I say, that's kind of undeniable. But yeah, I think more so than the story around him. And um, yeah, he tragically drowned um, when he went. He went for a swim. It was um, it was nothing that um, was deliberate. It was just it, he was caught in rapids. I think there was a, a tugboat passing by. Uh, it was an evening swim. It was really obviously ill-advised. He didn't know the kind of waters and it was just a horrible, horrible ac- accident. Um, but I, I actually think it's so tied up in how he influenced people as well that that's almost the tougher thing. As I say, like you kind of, if you don't like Coldplay, you might turn against this even though there's a bit more edge to it and a bit more kind of imagination. And I'm talking about Coldplay's very early stuff. And I think it signifies a lot that it doesn't actually embody itself. Um, so yeah, it was an entry point for many, and I think people hold something against it because of that, but it still stands up for me. You mentioned that I kind of set you up for a fall, but you've set me up quite perfectly for a fall in return, because we're going from this heavyweight mythos to something undeniably lightweight by comparison, but still an important kind of moment in Dave's musical journey at number five for me. A little something just to take off the edge A little more and I'll fall off the planet entirely I'll be there when your heart starts beating I'll be there when your last breath's taken away In the dark when there's no one listening In the times when we both get carried away When we both get carried away 
so yeah, um, the vocals of Mark Hoppus, the drums of Travis Barker, but not the music of Blink-182. This is, of course, Plus 44, uh, one album only spin-off project that kind of happened as a result of all the tension and the animosity in Blink-182 in the mid-2000s. I mean, I think, you know, Blink-182 were one of the biggest bands in the world at that point. Tensions were at boiling point inside the band itself. Uh, the timeline of this is so messy, I guess appropriately messy considering the people involved in the music and so on. And it's funny because like the first top five we ever did on this show, which was like our anti-love songs for Valentine's yeah. Week last year. Uh, I threw in No It Isn't by Plus 44. So it's kind of nice for me to revisit them one year on. Um, the timeline essentially is a bit messy. So Tom DeLong, the other member of Blink-182, starts a project called Boxcar Racer alongside Travis Barker. Mark Hoppus reportedly feels, quote, betrayed because he was left out, although he did end up doing a vocal on the record. It wasn't a very good album. And, you know, essentially paving the way for Blink side projects that didn't quite match the main event. Um, so essentially, like, the band toured their self-titled and arguably best album around 2003-2004. Tom DeLong expressed desire to go on hiatus due to exhaustion and basically wanting his own space for a while. And the band duly announced that hiatus in 2005. Uh, Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker started Plus 44, the name coming from the English telephone code because it was in England where they discussed the prospect of making oh, well. music together. <laughs> yeah, do you not know that? <laughs> no, <laughs> never, never made that connection before. No, wow. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus 44, there you go. Uh, <laughs> get your rotary telephone out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, like, those two lads, they adopted a relatively secretive approach, not doing press even after an original unfinished cut of No It Isn't leaked and kind of whipped up the whole, oh my god, it's about Blink-182 and the breakup frenzy. Um, Tom DeLonge, meanwhile, started the terrible Angels and Airwaves and started doing lots of interviews in which he was throwing the lads under the bus. Um, it's interesting because, like, I mean, I really like this album, but I accept that it's a three out of five. You know, I accept that it like it has limitations and I accept that Mark Hoppus has limitations and ultimately... Um, it's, it's a pleasant record. Like, like it's one that kind of takes me back to where I was. I was working for Exhibition in the mid 2000s. It was kind of a nice summer album to have. And I was, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you're like, like you're the, like as a Blink-182 fan, like you're the child of divorce here. And you're like, which parent am I going to, you know, throw right, my allegiance right. towards? And it's like, well, it's going to be Mark Hoppus all the way. And I'm loving what he's doing. Um, they just, you know, it's, it's, it's a fairly straightforward pop punk record. It's, it's your classic, you know, oh, I'm finally free to do what I want. And it's like, well, you know, they're just kind of Blink-182 songs, but they come at a time when Blink-182 were writing good songs. Like that self-titled album is great. Like, like it's really fucking good. And to be fair, I catch myself saying that and I'm like, well, no, like I, I loved Blink-182 growing up. I think they've always had great songs like before this, uh, you know, they're kind of juvenilia. It's like kind of like how much of that do you want to put up with? But I think deep down they're a very good band and they're good musicians too. Travis Barker, obviously very much, you know, shows that all the time. Um, and yeah, essentially it just kind of ran its course. Like it kind of, it did what it needed to do. And I think the fact that it ran for one record and didn't turn into this really over the top and convoluted angel, uh, angels and airwaves kind of, you know, extended universe that Tom DeLonge was trying to put together. It, yeah. it, it worked as a lean project and it worked as a kind of an expression. And there's some very good songs on here. The title track that we heard there is great. Lacanthrope, which opens it, is really good. I love No It Isn't. And it's just a good enough workout for them. Like, it doesn't need to be anything more than it is. There's been talk before about making a second album, which will never happen, and it doesn't need to. So it kind of exists in a pleasant kind of, I guess, you know, grove of these one and done albums. So yeah, it's good. It's not amazing, but it's good. 
Well, and it led to you using the word grove, which is great. And I haven't I heard where that it came in a while. from. I really enjoyed Shimmering. it. So obviously better <laughs> than Angels and Airways. Uh, as big an accomplishment as um, Tom DeLong's To The Stars Academy for the Arts and Sciences. I mean, no, he's done what, a lot for what ufology is, you know? and fringe science <laughs> and so humanity who, in general. So, okay, so we know whose side you're on then. Um, <laughs> but seriously, if you're ever in doubt, just stick on like... It Hurts or The Adventure by Angels and Airwaves and you'll be begging for a bit of this in about five seconds. <laughs> okay, I might do that comparison after this. In terms of picking sides, um, I tore Mike Love to shreds the other week for his solo forays. Uh, I'm keeping it Beach Boys on this occasion. And yeah, this is a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, Sonic Architect, um, Adam said just there, Mike Love, not war. <laughs> um, Dennis Wilson, not Mike Love is the case here. So it's the drummer from the Beach Boys uh, in 1977. That was River Song from the opening from Pacific Ocean Blue. And yeah, we only got one um, solo effort from him, sadly. Uh, it took him a long time to get around to it. He promised uh, a follow-up called Bamboo for years. Um, never really happened. It's kind of like an add-on to this album now if you get um, the repackaged stuff. But um, it didn't happen because he too sadly passed away in 1983, I believe. Um, he was on his yacht. He was drunk. And he decided to jump overboard to collect some items from his ex-wife that he had thrown overboard years previously. And... Uh, he was found drowned in the fetal position, which always struck me as odd because that just doesn't happen to people. So maybe hopefully he'd found peace, but he was an interesting character. Um, he's been called like the essence or the spirit of the Beach Boys. He was the only Beach Boy that knew how to surf which or even liked the beach, which is incredible. I mean, surely <laughs> that's on the sign up sheet. No, I mean, come on. You would assume. You would assume. Um but yeah, maybe he was like the kind of Larry Mullen Jr., like where he got the group together and then his like older brothers and cousins just were like, we'll take care of the rest. My work here is done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was, he was kind of like compared to like the, again, James Dean of the group. And he was, you know, the only remotely, I think, sexy one for sure. He stopped playing drums for them in the studio after a while. Um, he made kind of big creative contributions. Uh, I think that was downplayed for a long time. But actually... Session drummer Hal Blaine, I think, played on most of their kind of most well-known um, output. So he didn't seem like a likely contender for releasing a solo album. He was a bit of a playboy. He had substance problems. He had a lot of money. Like, I think he was 16 when he became a millionaire just because the Beach Boys took off so incredibly and quickly in the 60s. By this stage, though, you can sound, you can hear like in his voice just the, the kind of hard living. So I think he is 33 or 34 here. And he sounds grizzled as all hell. And if you see the album cover, he's like got the beard going. He's like, he's look, he looks like Jesus after a few tough years. Um, and sorry, yeah, as opposed was, to the, uh, as opposed to the, 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 the carefree years that Jesus Christ did enjoy, of course. Yes. Continue. Well, it was pretty good going until like the last, <laughs> the last weekend, I guess. Right. Let's move on. Let's move quickly on. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> volatile subject matter for some. <laughs> but he had he had learned a lot from Brian Wilson, who was of course the musical genius, and he started writing songs. And he got it together to record this album with a little help from some Beach Boys. And it's just, it's kind of outstanding. Like if Mike Love's solo stuff is a caricature of what you think the Beach Boys might be like and fear they might be like if you're not into them. This just goes beyond um, Beach Boys stuff. It's quite like album-oriented rock in a really good way. It's like a more ragged Elton John. It's almost at spots like if, you know, Matt Berninger had a kind of a trust fund. You know, he does a kind of worn-out Playboy thing. And he's extremely soulful. Like, it's it's a soul album. It's a funk album. Um, you know, uh, certain cuts are just extremely powerful, um, all things considered. Time is like the deepest ache um time is a song by the way that isn't just a phrase i've thrown out time is the deepest ache but he's keening at times you know <laughs> it's Christ. and you've got these huge choirs and orchestras uh carl wilson on backing and it's it's yeah it didn't sell well he was due to do like a simple west coast tour to support it and he was a bit of a loose cannon so the record company were like yeah there's no real point um, it even went out of print for a long time, but the critics loved it and, you know, they always know best, <laughs> certainly more than any artist. So um, that should be enough for you, listener. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number four for me. Uh, Plus 44 came out in 2006. We're going back to 2006 now for a, kind of a shining example of like, how was there not more of this? Guys, they've been talking about the way I do what I do. Heard I was good, they wanna see if it's true They know you're the one, I wanna give it to I can see you want me to Now it's me and me Now, uh, I've been waiting, waiting Think I wanna make a move now Baby, tell me if you like it Tell me it's if me you like it Now, uh, I've been waiting Think I wanna make a move Yeah, that's a Cassie. That song is Me and You. The album is called Cassie as well. It's self-titled. And my God, Greg, it was difficult to pick. It, it was it was this or it was Long Way to Go, which is the oh, press office favorite. And I was I like, ah, I'll go with Me and You. I'll go with that one. I feel like people will know that. But do check out Long Way to Go and do check out the whole album, which, like I said, came out in 2006. Uh, Cassandra Elizabeth Ventura Fine. She was born in 1986 and in 2004, uh, she was essentially, you know, put on the fast track to superstardom. She was discovered by a record producer and then I believe Diddy heard this song in a club and essentially was like, of course yeah. he did. Where else would he hear it? <laughs> he was like, get her on bad boy records. And she's going to be the next big thing. And and also in a relationship with me. Yeah. For like, what, 20 years? Did they only break up recently, I think, maybe? Yeah, it was very recent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we won't get into the whole personal life elements of things because I don't know what went on there. I hope everything was harmonious. I don't know if it was or if it wasn't. But like, essentially, like this song was massive and it was cool. Long way to go is even better. And I feel like you can just file Cassie under the Amarie <clears throat> file of like, you know, mid 2000s R&B, American, like pop heavy, should be number one, like should be the next big thing. And then it just didn't happen. This is the yeah. only album she's put out. She put out a mixtape then, uh, God, a few years ago and a couple of singles a few years ago that weren't great. But like, she's kind of developed this own kind of strange mythos. Like, it's like, you just kept expecting it to happen and it just never did. She's done some acting. Seems like she's been kept busy, but like, it's weird, right? Yeah. And to me, just from her activity, it seemed like her 
her heart wasn't really in it. And I don't mean the music whatsoever because this album is testament to creativity and just the impact she had then. But like, she never struck me as kind of careerist. She didn't want to play the game. She just didn't want to put in, I guess, the insane grafts that must come with being one of those kind of globe straddling pop stars. It just would be all consuming and she picked a different path and probably it was wise for her and her headspace and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, if we're going on sheer talent, she should have been one of the biggest stars in the world. I know she had some success with these singles, but it never really took over in a huge way. And it felt like she was a couple of years ahead of her time, right? Like even even five, ten years on um, what was being classified as like alt hip-hop and really cutting-edge stuff. It just kind of sounded like Cassie even then. Um, so maybe she was just slightly ahead of the curve. She was just kind of a parallel to Timbaland just in that sound maybe slightly, but not a lot of people were doing this kind of thing and she did it better than anyone. Yeah, it's strange because, I mean, you have a lot of kind of artists around that time and not to just go like for like here or just, you know, uh, do sound like stuff, but, you know, you have like Cassie, you got Sierra, Amory, Rihanna will come along, obviously, all one named for whatever reason. But like, it's just that weird thing of like what pops and what doesn't. And I don't know, it just feels like like it's not quite a Frank Ocean level here, but like there are like you're kind of like, when's that second Cassie album going to happen? And you're like, it isn't going to happen. It doesn't seem like she's that interested, as you say. So but a real good time capsule. And going back to the album this week was actually a lot of fun because I haven't listened to it from start to finish in forever. Um, again, it's not groundbreaking. It is kind of more like there's a couple of absolute gems on here and this could be something special. But the fact that it exists in its own vacuum now, I think, does actually make it something kind of bigger than maybe it was at the time. And yeah, I don't know, maybe if it comes out in 2015, it's a different case. But no, unfortunately, uh, it's it's just a weird curio at this stage. And if you had not quite a Frank Ocean level on your no encore bingo card, you can cross it off now. That's ding, not taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for my number three, I'm going from California to the River Clyde in the Scottish Lowlands. It's <laughs> very partridge, wasn't it? It really was. <laughs> Yeah, that was Life Without Buildings um, and the song being Sorrow from their 2001 album, uh, only album, Any Other City. And yeah, I probably made it sound like it would be even more rugged, but um, they were a bunch of Glasgow students, essentially. Um, An interesting group that I kind of came across maybe five years after this album came out. Um, It was on the the old Drowned and Sound form. It was a big album around those parts, those kind of British indie types. Uh, and at the time, like even then, it was like a longing, like unrequited list and it had taken on some kind of low-key mythical status. Um, so the band just kind of came, came together. It was a group of ex-students, Glasgow School of Art, um, drummer, bassist and guitarist. And then they were finally joined by Sue Tompkins on vocals, who was um, a visual artist and a painter by trade, essentially. And yeah, I guess she's the most standout bit about the band in terms of her kind of um, seeing speaking style. Um, It's a bit Marmite for some. It works really well for me. Um, 
it's just it has a kind of painterly technique to it and it kind of taps into like over these really really considered lovely like languid kind of fragile post-punk post-rock songs um produced by andy miller who did stuff with mogwai and arab straps so it's coming from that universe but just her on top of it uh lends a kind of serenity and stillness to the whole thing and she just finds these pockets uh between like the rock norms of everything it's like you know poetry of patty smith or sonic youth maybe in their quiet moments and yeah it's it's quite a singular album i don't think there's a band really like them whatsoever and the whole breakup was just a no fuss thing really so tomkins essentially just never really wanted to have a music career she wanted to get on with her career in visual arts um and the band themselves said just, you know, after signing a contract and stuff, they started feeling pressure because, you know, it was just something they started for a laugh. It had become kind of serious. Apparently they were on the bill for the Strokes first ever um, gig in Britain. And it was like an admin error. They weren't even supposed to be playing, but they did. And that kind of sums up their career a little bit. But weirdly, um, when I went back to this this week... I was doing some Googling and there was an article in The Guardian only this week uh, from Jennifer Hodgson talking about how this band have been revived on TikTok. So one of the songs on this, which is like post-rock essentially, the lean over, and it's her doing that kind of like stuttering uh, stream of consciousness thing, um, like a, like a 15 or 19 second clip off that is now being used by like teenage girls who were scarcely born when this album came out just like to camera just like leaning into it and miming it and yeah there's compilations on youtube and it's bizarre seeing this like whole different context they have for this band that yeah meant a lot to me like 10 15 years ago and yeah so a really unlikely one for a tiktok revival um but maybe a likely one for a craig top five Takes all kinds, Craig. Um, yeah, so I'm. We've gone from America. You know, we, we we've come out. It was very Joe Biden of me. America, um, <laughs> America. <laughs> we did it, Joe. Um, so basically, right, we've gone from all across the world. We've come to America, uh, Scotland, and now I'm going to take us to the Emerald Isle. Find yourself spontaneously breaking into some air drumming there do not worry because i did too that is the incredible overhead the albatross the album is learning to growl that song is big river man the album comes out in 2016 i believe um yeah. and again like when overhead the albatross right i mean like there hasn't to my knowledge been like an official breakup communique from them ever put out but everyone's kind of gone their separate ways and it very much feels like the project is done and i think it really works for them in terms of the legacy so i want to talk a little bit about this band for a second uh, yeah. it's funny because you mentioned post-rock on the last one this is a post-rock record um overhead the albatross mean an awful lot to me i know they mean an awful lot to you craig as well and they mean yeah. an awful lot to this show as well from for so many different reasons and i'm i'm going to try and count the ways in a second but like essentially 
this is a band that had been a huge part of the last 10 years of my life um, in, in, in one way or another. I mean, I remember, you know, coming out of college, going into hot press. And I remember, like, we met Vinnie Casey in The Workman's <laughs> when he worked there. there was what that, a meeting like, it was, too. It was incredible. I feel like I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Like, Craig and I, you know, very jaded cynical angry young music journalists going to the workman's club two like months six, in <laughs> two months in <laughs> like 6 p.m uh, going for a pint on like a tuesday or wednesday or monday or whatever fucking day it was and there was a radiohead album on craig and i were talking about it cynically of course and the man pulling our pint uh interrupted us friendly and was like uh I have to disagree with you there, lads. And we were like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? And it was Vinnie Casey, who is now, of course, the booker in the Workman's Club and one of the soundest people you'll ever meet. And that was yeah. a, a great way of meeting him. Uh, and of course, you know, you get to chat and you find that he's in a band. And it was the classic, like, you know, a few drinks in. Oh, I'll do a feature on you for Hot Press, of course. And I ended up doing that feature. I interviewed him and Joe Panama uh, and like wrote, wrote about that. I think that summer, maybe we saw them on, on a small stage at Electric Picnic. We were having a very bad day. We walked up this hill and saw them playing and Vinnie gave us a wink. And it was amazing. I uh, love a Vinny Wink. It's just the greatest thing of all time. But it's just like, I've seen them in like, uh, what did Wigwam used to be called that before they changed oh, it? Oh, God. I remember. Don't even um, know. Twisted Pepper. Twisted Pepper. Pepper. So Sonic Architect. Oh, uh, <laughs> if anyone Never really my scene, but anyway. Not me either. Um, <laughs> and I saw them there and it was great. Saw them in the Workman's the night the fucking power blew before they could finish their set at like one in the morning. Uh, saw them at Vicker Street on the same night that Fight Like Apes played their final ever show in Whelan's. Uh, mm. A decision that was incredibly hard to make. One that May Kay heard earlier in the show has never and will never forgive me for, but it's okay because I got to see Overhead the Albatross live as often as I could. They were the first first guests on this very show on the first episode yep. they were the headline act on our second ever live show in Whelan's uh, I think yeah. that they are one of the greatest acts this country has ever produced and listening to this album today out in a long walk when it got to Big River Man that you heard there I found myself getting quite emotional listening to it because I was just like I want that feeling again I want that specific feeling again that this band give me and right now in a period of uh, just unending turmoil and and, and trauma a song like that on an album like this, it is the crutch for me to stand up and move on with my day and move on with my week and move on with my life. It gives me so much joy and charge and passion. This is a band that means so much to me on a personal level. And it is a classic cliched case of don't be sad that they're gone. Be happy that it happened because they're very special. And the, and the music that they make is just kind of in a class of its own i think they're fucking amazing the album's learning to growl but it's really more about what the band are and mean to me and i don't need a second album i think it's perfect as it is okay allow my full disclosure here where you mentioned earlier on that occasionally you think about what's craig going to do this is one where i was like what's dave going to do and (laughs) i was hoping this would pop up it was a combination of that and also um there's a kind of hope factor that came in for me where I was like, is this the end of the story? It would be very fitting if it was, but this was in the same bracket as who, Dave? A man called Jay Paul, who was not in my top five either, because maybe someday. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, very eloquently put. A huge band, for, you know, more than friends at a show, an inspiration. And yeah, such kind of empowering music, just bursting with optimism i guess like from <laughs> Vinny's attitude when he like struck a conversation up with us over the bar and was like no actually do you know what i think that album's great and like maybe the world and life can be great 
that's in like every member of that band and in every fucking bar of every one of their songs and it's vital as fuck and it's yeah it's humongous and my god i mean if we achieved nothing else from you know five years of this show like getting them (laughs) to headline one of our live shows was just monumental uh that was an unforgettable night uh like every time they played really but because it was somehow associated with no encore we're taking all of the credit right oh yeah absolutely (laughs) and it was yeah i was i was in bits emotionally that night it was tremendous tremendous band and yeah i agree with you one of the finest acts ireland has ever produced and i am relieved that they're in your list i don't think we're gonna have as much crossover as we thought maybe well let's keep going okay Maybe not. Uh, My runner-up is... um, Well, this is one for the children. LYF there, the opener from Go Tell Fire to the Mountain, um, from Woo Life, featuring their regular drummer there, to recall a recurring uh, Dave Letterman quip. Um, Tremendous Manchester band, this came out in 2011. If you search for them online, um, there's little brackets after Woo Life that says uh, 2008 to 2012, (laughs) just really fitting. And um, prior to us recording this show, uh, I was testing my audio by playing a recommended YouTube clip of Sir Alex Ferguson um, spinning some wisdom. And Sir Alex Ferguson, he didn't say it in this clip, but I remember him saying that every great team has a cycle (laughs) and then you have to start replacing (laughs) members or move on. Um, You've got about three or four seasons and that's it, right? And Wheel Life had just that, 2008 to 2012. A really good group. Um, built to be kind of a cult act because essentially they were a cult themselves. Deeply pretentious, right? But in a ramshackle, yeah, exciting massively. way where they were kind of following their intuition rather than doing a kind of faux, sloppy act thing. And it was, yeah, it was around about that time where there was a lot of, you know, the likes of The weekend, maybe slightly post-burial, where there was a lot of mystery around um, upcoming acts. And they kind of played into that a lot. And they became this really intriguing thing if you bought into it. And I did. And I know you did. Um, and yeah, the album actually is tremendous. Like, it's a classic. It actually paid off. And they broke up with Ellery Roberts just basically saying, uh, I'm done with Wheel Life. Um just tremendous i'll i'll maybe move on at this point but i do always remember nicky wire from the manchester preachers talking them up um something fierce back then just going like if i was i was a teenager at the moment this is the only band that would matter a damn to me and i remember thinking at the time that's interesting because the manic street preachers when they first came out prior to the release of their debut album used to talk a big game of like, okay, our first album is going to be a double album. It's going to go to number one in the UK and America, and then we're going to break up, and that's going to be our grand statement. And of course, they released Generation Terrorists and then released plenty more albums, thankfully, because they had many different incarnations. Woo Life, okay, they didn't top the charts, but they released that one album, made their impact, and then just left us. And there's something tremendous about that. Like, they're really, really special. And that's my number two. 
yeah, it's a classic album and there's an intrinsic power about it that I haven't heard on a lot of records over the past 10 years. So it's it's magnificent. Uh, my number two, I'm going to keep it in the UK, kind of around a similar time, slightly before that album came out. And again, kind of one of those like, why was there never more of this? But actually, you know what I'll do, right? Dave Grohl, can you introduce the next one for me, please? Thank you. You know what I really like that I just got it? Okay, there's one band that I know nobody's ever heard of because fucking they've made one record and disappeared. They're called Late of the Pier. P-I-E-R. You know Late of the Pier? How rad is that record? It's amazing. And then they just disappeared. They were like kids. They're like 18-year-old kids that made this crazy record that's so good. And nothing ever happened to it, and it's such a drag. Thank you, nicest man in rock. And now, <laughs> it is in fact, at number two for me, Late of the Pier. So yes, that is Space in the Woods, taken from the record Fantasy Black Channel by the act Late of the Pier. I believe the year was 2009. I'm going to read now from a dazed piece from January 2019 when the album got a re-release and prompted, you know, some kind of, I guess, underground cult appreciation. Uh, Late of the Pier were four school friends, Samuel Eastgate, Andrew Faley, Ross Dawson and Sam Potter, or as they call themselves, Samuel Dust, Jack Paradise. Francis Dudley Dance and Red Dog Consuela. The nicknames were all part of the parallel universe they created for themselves, a place that was as fantastical as it was absurd. They wore gold robes and silver hoods on stage, had nonsensical song names, and uh, essentially had this whole another dimension quality to their music. Um, It's interesting because, I mean, like, on this record, like, this is an album that's filled with songs that often change genre two or three times before the song is complete. And yet, I think that there's an incredibly sharp pop hook vibe to so much of what's on here. I think it's actually very accessible. The first song I ever heard was uh, The Bears Are Coming. And I didn't even know what I was hearing. I was like, what the fuck is this? And I had a really weird video. And for some reason, I, like, it made me seek out the album. And it's just such a weird experience. It's kind of formative as well. I was listening to it when I was in college. And they had this very kind of hipster cred, I guess. Um, This article kind of goes on to say that, like, the fact that they were from Donington, I believe, kind of went against them around the time that, like... Home of rock. (laughs) (laughs) Monsters of rock. It kind of went against them in terms of, like, uh, I guess they're factoring in the recession here as a potential reason. Just basically, it's a bit of a stretch, but as they themselves, as the author of this article, indeed... I believe points out, but like making the point that like acts like Claxons and Jamie XX and others, you know, based in London kind of was helpful, but these guys were kind of sequestered away. Uh, I believe one of them themselves said like, if you grow up in a place that's inherently boring, your brain is searching for some kind of satisfaction. You're seeking these things from the outside. They're not there. So what you do is you turn your gaze inside, you start using your imagination, you start making things. That was the thing about Late of the Pier, where we were desperately trying to leave the village, so we had to do it in our heads through music. That's why you had such preposterous, large-sounding, escapist, mutant pop music. Uh, they never really came to a formal end. I mean, like, 
again like they never like said we're done um and there's a, a kind of an updated quote where it says we had a conversation about what we should do 30 years from now it's part and parcel of being a member of this band not any one members in the same dimension as the other ones we've used up our future and we've still got our past to enjoy ahead of us they've all gone on to do different things all very arty um but it just has this kind of I don't know. I think it has this kind of enduring quality. I think it is better than, say, the Claxons or whoever. I think the songs here are sharper. I think they're incredibly well written. I think they managed to conjure up something that I haven't heard a lot of other bands do. And it's, it's just teetering on the right side of it. Like it's this close to being like a bad art brute song here and there. But like, I don't know, man. I think they actually really did capture some magic here. And again, as kind of Grohl points out in that clip there, <laughs> Grohl, <laughs> like he's our buddy, um, <laughs> Grohl said, but like, it's kind of one of the things where I'm like, it works. Like, like, like much like Overhead the Albatross's legacy of kind of beautiful harmony and like, you know, the, the positivity of optimism, what you can do when you put these people together in a room in a place, hard as it might be to do that. This kind of somehow <laughs> feels like, a bunch of fucking like you know like a level students or whatever just like having a laugh but it's kind of genius at the same time and i don't know how they did it yeah it's got that collage quality like it really feels like of a piece it took me a long time to get into this or actually more to the point get around to it because first of all the name for some reason put me off i was assuming there was some tweeness going on and then when i did initially hear their stuff the not the Donington thing but the yeah as you mentioned Claxons the kind of new rave thing worked against me where I was like oh there's kind of flex of that and I'm very much done with that was done with it at the time um I'll just kind of you know steer clear of this so then very belatedly I came to the album and I had that kind of oh wow moment of like with this a huge hugely pleasant surprise and yeah very accomplished stuff so missed the boat on this first time around sadly my number one I actually had an act in my Round about my top five who were totally silent for like five years and then I had a nice moment where I was like checking online to be like oh, are they really dead and buried and um no there was a Facebook post in like the last couple of months being like new music coming soon I was like oh brilliant so they're not there we might talk about them on a Patreon only episode instead I'm going solo again with this one Yeah, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of, um, and her post-Fuji's solo album, the only one we've got. She did like an unplugged thing a couple of years after this. Um, it was widely derided at the time, and then Kanye sampled the hell out of it, and people love it now, but it doesn't really count. It was an MTV TV unplugged thing. Uh, this came out in 1998, um, so it was kind of like the eve of summertime for mankind, as I've always said 1999 was. Carlos Santana does indeed feature on a track, and yeah, it's pretty apparent from like 22, 23 years on and nada, this was maybe a safe bet. It doesn't seem like we're going to get a long player from her anytime soon whatsoever. At the time, this was huge commercially, totally influential. And I guess maybe alongside D'Angelo's dispatches, D'Angelo being on the record as well on a great song. Um, 
and maybe Erica Badu and the Roots, but this was like peak neo soul uh, and a peak for hip hop maybe at the time. So yeah, she just come off touring with the Fugees. Um, she was pregnant with her first child, and she said that had a huge amount to play in. Like her, um, she'd been going through a period of writer's block. And actually, she said she found pregnancy just really kind of revitalized something in her and she started writing just furiously. Songs were pouring out of her that she had to capture. She was writing for like Aretha Franklin at the time, Whitney Houston, all these different genres that all go into this album, which is this incredible melting pot. And it's a really full expression of everything she is, all of her musical loves. And she's just so on point. The way she switches between rapping and singing is incredible. You can make a pretty fair argument that she is like really top of the class in either category she's just tremendously talented she reminds me of an andre 3000 maybe um that would be a big compliment to him maybe because you know we're still waiting on that solo album dre um like the love blow doesn't quite count but yeah this is just a long sprawling album jam-packed with great stuff even the skits kind of work and i was looking online for like any kind of hints that she might be doing something which she is very much not there was a lot of heap uh, like a lot of praise being heaped on her um that was slightly kind of inadvertently misogynistic i thought because it was comparing her back then to the likes of nikki or cardi b at the moment and saying stuff like you know wap isn't really all that empowering uh when it's just about using sex blah 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 blah. look at lauren you know so soulful outright political uh woke in the original sense uh really thought-provoking which is totally unfair arguments it's you know there it's t- a type of music doing very different stuff it's an argument you can probably make if you compare her to most of modern music though because to have cut through kind of commercially with such insight intellectual poise she's kind of in the realms of a pack more recently kendrick lamar's maybe carrying that torch and it's just true kind of expression in every sense she's a remarkable remarkable talent and she crops up just kind of doing vocals here and there but i think we really really miss her you mentioned there like look and see if she was doing any new music at this stage this album which is stunning and iconic in every sense i mean like would you rather that there wasn't another album? I mean, is it a case of so much time has passed, it could potentially taint this, or does that matter at all? I mean, like, like can a classic album can exist on its own forever, of course, but like, I don't know, she's got such a presence and such a kind of a mythos as well that you're like, I don't know, would it... I mean, if you got like a six out of ten Lauren Hill, uh, Lauren Hill album in like twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, you're like, uh. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it's a fair point. I think the difference being that like she is a solo artist, so it's you know if a band like Woo Life releases an album and then breaks up, they've accomplished everything they wanted to achieve as a kind of entity and as a kind of philosophy and a you know a universe they've built, and that feels really fitting. Um, same with Overhead if they decide to kind of leave it where it is but i think in the case of lauren hill just because she's had such a tough time over the years and you know she's you hear reports and there's you know articles written about her and you don't quite know what exactly is going on whenever for sure she's been dealing with bipolar disorder uh she had a whole tax evasion thing she spent time in prison i believe and she's been kind of painted in a lot of quarters, almost like Sinead has been, you know, that kind of thing of like, oh, she's a bit mad, um, which is totally unfair because she said more of kind of value and clarity and power than the people writing that ever have. But I just feel like there, you know, if she did release something, there might be that opportunity for her just to kind of tap back into that potential. It feels like there's unfinished business, but also it's that thing of just wanting her to be kind of happy and do well. And um, if the miseducation of is all we get, then that's more than enough. Okay, so uh, great choice. My number one, I mean, listen, 
I guess for you, Craig, and for the listener, this is a bit out there for a number one, but at the same time, you go with your gut, and I had to go with this one. So a bit avant-garde, a bit weird, but here we go. I want you on the floor, and in a cold <laughs> shaking. I want to have you downing every meaning you've amassed, like a fortune. Oh, throw it away, but worship someone who actively despises you. For worship someone who actively despises you. I am the root. I am the progress. I'm the aggressor. I am the tablet. These ten stories. <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say about Lou Reed, Metallica, Lulu, outsider maximalist art that challenges every conception you ever had about music? And no, it is not my actual number one. Here is my actual number one, of course. kid you not listener craig got out of his seat and danced around his bedroom what a sight it was like that feeder video for just a day uh it's <laughs> crossover klaxon it's woo life it's go tell fire to the mountain the track is we bros um i echo everything craig said this is a special album to me uh, it sounds like its own language not just because ellery james roberts kind of often almost always indecipherable vocals there's just something here there's an unbelievable power in this album again it takes me back to the hot press office i remember very vividly uh, being in a side room around the corner from the art department and the, the guys, Graham Keough, Andrew Duffy and David Keane playing this. David Keane was usually the one in charge of the music and he was playing this one day and I was just like, what is this? Like, like, what am I hearing? Like, like I've never heard anything like this. And that's what you want your fucking hot press experience to be, right? Like you yeah. want to be in this kind of music Bible and finding new stuff and, yeah, it's one of my great regrets to this day. I've said it before, but I had tickets to see them in Wheelands and I didn't go. And then they broke up and it upsets me to this day. It's oh. one of those ones that stays there. Um, I just love everything about this. I love how pretentious it is. I love how yeah. they built their own myth. I love how it was, you know, designed to fuck with the media. It was a great, I remember a great article in Q magazine, like a four or five pager. Uh, again, you're reading Q like with envy for the magazine we worked for. You're like, this is what it could be. Um, and that was a great article as well. It just all worked for me. Like, I guess I often do, we all often do, we often turn our noses up at like hardcore pretentious bands, uh, especially of this kind of nature. But man, uh, I don't know, this, this 10 track album, and God bless the 10 track running time, everything sings, everything works. It created a world and it's a world I can hear and escape to when I listen to it. And this week going back to it, that's exactly what happened. Everything from the artwork, I just find myself 
physically traversing the terrain of this. I'm sounding very pretentious myself now and I don't care because I love this album with all of my heart. Uh, I've already been on to Adam being like, hey, I've got a record player now. How do I find the vinyl? And Adam's like, well, it's running for about 250 euro online. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why didn't I buy it back then? Uh, so if anyone knows where I can get Go Tell Fire to the Mountain My Woo Life and Vinyl, please let me know. Um, it's just special. If you've never heard it, like, please take the time. I think it will transport you somewhere else. It's it's a real shining example of why I love music the way that I do, and it speaks to me in a way that a lot of records don't. I don't know if there have been many better albums over the last 10 years. I don't know if I've heard many albums that I like this much in my entire lifetime. So I adore it, and that's my number one. I guess I will say wow. in wrapping up as well, um, I just want to, I guess we don't often do this, but like given the nature of this one, um, which I really enjoyed doing, my top five one and done albums, in case you want to wrap up of that, plus 44, When Your Heart Stops Beating, uh, Cassie, self-titled, Overhead the Albatross, Learning to Growl, uh, Late of the Pier, Fantasy Black Channel, and Woo Life, Go Tell Fire to the Mountain. I would highly encourage you to check all of those out. Craig, if you have any more words on Woo Life, please feel free, because I know you did move on rapidly, perhaps anticipating the crossover. I did, and this was one where I was like, I can't leave it off, because like, I knew you were going to pick it somewhere, probably, but I still listen to it every couple of weeks it's that good so I was like I've got to get it in and yeah like you know what you can be pretentious all you like if you're really fucking good and I do think maybe that closed loop thing of like it just being one album it was you know it kind of drove home how they were doing all of the weird pretentious stuff not for the attention but for the art and I'm sure like Jerry Sauls would agree there nice way of closing uh can I get your top five albums that you picked there today you certainly can. It was Jeff Buckley's Grace. It was Dennis Wilson's Pacific Ocean Blue. Um, then Life Without Buildings, Any Other Day. Uh, Woo Life, which you just heard. And yeah, Miss Hill, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation Of. Fantastic. Uh, it's been a very music-packed episode. Thanks once again, of course, to May Kay and to Elaine May for chatting to us. Check out the new yeah. single, No Forever. Thanks, of Great course, song. to our wonderful sonic architect, Adam Shanahan, for being here on the call, taking a bow as he does. And thank you, listener, for uh, for listening to us, of course. We'll be back next week with all kinds of new stuff. And uh, it's patreon.com slash noencore if you love the show and want to help us out for the price of a pint. As I say, new episodes coming soon. We'll have a monthly roundup of songs, that, uh, songs and albums that we're listening to at the moment that we love that we feel are worth the attention of your ears. So it's patreon.com slash noencore if you would like to uh, help us feel all warm and fuzzy as we enter a brand new month. How are you feeling, Craig? I'm feeling good. Spring is in the air and I'll just keep this charade up for as long as possible. <laughs> okay. My name is David William Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Love you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's way or the highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinole. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.